Hi and welcome to the podcast, you're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Penny Greenhold, who's a Sydney-based comedian, very funny woman and an interesting person to talk to. Uh, we sat in the Mercure Hotel, which was my venue in Melbourne, and we talked about a range of topics. She's very, very interesting to talk to, so I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Um, as for me, I'm back in Sydney now, which is strange after three months on the road. Um, I am home, I guess. That's what it is, Sydney. And I've been spending a bit of time around beaches and cliffs and feeling feeling that kind of soak into me. That's nice. I've got my Sydney Comedy Festival shows coming up from the 7th to the 10th of May. Please come. Uh, please come. Book tickets early. I would like to sell tickets to the show. It's been a difficult show to put together and I'm proud of it. So if you'd like to come, please do. And if you book ahead, then there's a possibility I'll put on an extra show, uh, which I would love to do that. It's kind of a, a glory yardstick. That's my stretch goal. If we can use Kickstarter terminology for real life, can we? We can do whatever we want. All right. Without further ado, I will let you listen to the podcast. If you'd like to give money to me on Patreon, uh, do that. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, at Alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. If you would like to email me, alicerfraser at gmail.com. Keep saying hi. It's nice for me to know that you are there. All right. You're having tea with Alice. Um, yeah, so you said you had a good night's sleep. I had a really excellent sleep. The kind of sleep where you wake up afterwards and you forget your own, you've forgotten everything about yourself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it takes you a second to remember where you are and what your name is. The dawn of the world. Yeah. Again. <laughs> I have Renaissance. A, I have a moment in my show where I ask people to think of their earliest good memory. Yeah. And sometimes they just look at me like... There was nothing before today. <laughs> no, they're just completely nonplussed by this idea of, of looking into the past and thinking about who they were. Wow, that's interesting. I guess we're, yeah, what do we do with ourselves? I guess we just try and get on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think a lot of people think from a day-to-day, on a day-to-day basis about who they are. No. They're more well, just what they're doing. Yeah. What were they going to have for lunch? Yeah, it's yeah. not what I'm going to have for lunch, it's what I'm going to have for lunch. Yeah. So you focus on the lunch, not on the identity of the person aiming at the lunch. Yeah, you're right, that's that's interesting. I guess if you, if there was too much self-reflection, you'll jump off a cliff. Yeah, true. You don't you want to get a caught on that question. No, that's right. It's not a good survival instinct to go, <laughs> what do I want, wait a minute, who am I? Yeah, where what have I come from? What do I mean? Yeah. What's the point? What is isness? Yeah. And you don't have lunch. Yeah. You miss lunch. What is it to have yeah, exactly. Is it is this possessive, possessiveness? So you're um, do you, have you? I assume you have not listened to this podcast before. I haven't. No, that's okay. We just have tea and talk. Uh, except I don't have tea, so that's right. I saw some ice creams over there. Yeah, we could break into it. Yeah. There's wasabi peas in the storeroom. Oh, yum! Giant boxes. We should of mix them. the two together. That'd be wild. Ice cream and wasabi. That sounds yeah. like one of those weird Japanese squid. Ice cream things. Is that a thing? Squid ice cream? Yeah. Oh, I don't know because I don't read Japanese, but they do have ice cream with a squid on it. Really? Maybe it's like some sort of obscure cultural affinity that squid have for like peppermint flavour. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's possible. 
it 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 may actually be squid ice cream. <laughs> Yum. Yeah, I tried it. I I would oh, try it. You try it. You yeah, try like it. calamari rings filled with ice cream. Don't you reckon? Yeah, that could be a no. thing. No, no. I mean, maybe the texture was. <laughs> and calamari is a relatively neutral, non-fishy flavor. That's right. I always it feel could bad be like about those um, cannelli. I, I like those Italian desserts. Cannolis. Cannolis. That's the yes. one. I um I squid are quite smart. Is that true? Yeah, they can figure out mazes and they do art. They do art with the ink. No, with bones of creatures that they've killed. Jesus. They make patterns. <laughs> yeah. Psychopaths. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so I feel bad about calamari. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. What about beef? I general. Oh, I mean, I just had this chat with Mike Kaplan uh, about veganism and stuff. I don't eat very much meat. Mm. About you, you're a. I grew up on girl. a grew up on a farm on a beef farm. Yeah. So um, I feel like eating beef is probably f- fine. Like uh, I don't. I mean, Australian beef. Yeah. Is all free range and has they they I've seen how they live. Well, they have I a great time. The one that I don't understand is people who won't eat beef but who will eat like a chicken or a fish. I think that's weird because you're like, I mean, if you're eating a steak, that's like. One hundredth of a cow that you've killed, you know, like your proportionate contribution to the death of the animal is relatively low. That's true. Because a whole fish has to die for you to have even a, a relatively satisfying fish meal. Yeah, and then chickens, chicken. poor old chickens. I think they've got this. They've drawn the the shortest straw in the whole people eating food, Thing. eating animals. Yeah. yeah, because they're just they're just so easy to pack into sheds. Yeah. They survive. I think it's I think it's awful. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's when we start eating cockroaches, right? <laughs> They're pretty easy to pack into that's sheds. Right. And no one's going to worry about cockroaches. No, no one. No one's too worried about how they how they feel. No. When they wake up in the morning. I mean, cockroaches are interesting. I grew up with a lot of creatures in our house because we were Buddhist, right? So we didn't oh, kill anything. Oh, really? So you saw a lot of things kind of do their little stuff. Yeah. Uh, hanging out and you know strolling around your living room. Like what? Oh, like a lot of cockroaches, a lot of cockroaches. Uh, they get pretty arrogant if you don't. <laughs> if you don't, they just stand there while you're doing stuff. They won't run away. They're just wow. Yeah, or mice. We used to have a mouse that would come out. Um, we weren't really allowed to watch TV, but we watched the cricket and the news. And we had mice that would come out and watch the TV. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> like we'd sort Mental. of chase them away, but after a while they realised that we weren't going to do them any harm. Yeah, and they were mesmerised by the moving images. Yeah, something about the television was something wow. appealing to them. That's crazy. I worked in a cafe in France uh, where the hygiene was not fantastic. We were all paid like $5 an hour to work there and they said um, they were very strict with the number of hours we were allowed to work in a day. Uh-huh. Um, so we were given half an hour once the last sandwich was served to clean everything, which is not long enough. Yeah, that's and uh, and the mice when we do the night shift, there was a, a sweet spot around the nine thirty mark where all the mice would just come out <laughs> and start chatting with people. They oh. would, they would run around the kitchen, they'd run around upstairs. You'd hear people screaming. <laughs> it was it was unbelievable. They were everywhere and they weren't scared. And uh, and uh, and they never. Why would they be there? They know you've only got half an hour to take them That's down. That's right. Yeah. Can't take us all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they they had a, a very nice life. So why were you working in a cafe in France for five dollars an hour? Because I had this romantic idea of um, going to France and 
like basically integrating, like immersing myself and mm. learning French and all that, but also living like a French person and working like a French person and, you know, trying to do the whole thing. Um, and when you, you, you can't like speak you French good, <laughs> well, it's most of the language barrier, you know, like I think, I think I, um, I tick a, a lot of the right boxes. Like I think life is very easy for you if you're a white person in mm. France. Um, they are super they are, they are, especially on the job front and stuff and and renting houses and that type of thing they're very 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 racist uh, but um, the language if you if you can't speak French they don't want they don't have time their lives are too busy so hospitality was kind of um, my only option yeah. and it was great it was tough it really taught me a lot about <laughs> uh, what most people's experience is when they immigrate. I, I had a very, very, I had a luxurious version of what they go through, and uh, and it was it was really hard. And so that's interesting. And from that, you still decided you wanted to do performance. Yeah, <laughs> with its almost guaranteed retirement into a hospitality job. <laughs> <laughs> what am I thinking? I don't, I don't know. It could just make you more motivated to succeed. I mean, oh, you, yeah. do, you do very well in your in your field, don't you? There's running for the chaser and all sorts of exciting things. Mm, yeah, I, I guess that's all quite recent, um, and there's no guarantee that that will continue. But you know, you got to hope for the best, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fun at the moment, really fun. When it's when it's on an upwards ebb, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And you went to clown school. Yeah, was that also part of the France? Yes, romantic thing, or was that was like the fun bit? I think. Did you go there before or after you did the integration thing? Or uh, was it simultaneous? It was. It was kind of simultaneous. I went. I went with all of um, all of the plans at the one time, um, but I I really wanted to learn French. That was my first thing. So I spent five months living in Paris, um, taking classes and working in cafes and living with French people and socialising with French people and doing all that. And then, uh, then theatre school for 12 months. How's your French? Well, 12 months ago, it was very, very good. Yeah. Uh, it, I've, I think I've lost a bit. You yeah. know, like my speed and my vocabulary is not as good, but I could say all the swear words. I could do all the slang. Yeah, um, yeah it was pretty good. And would you go back there? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Now that I can speak French, I think, um, like, round two, would it's, it's almost guaranteed that it will be a lot easier. Yeah. And why theatre school? Um, well, I'd looked into it in Australia, but your options are basically NIDA or, like, you know, all those drama schools where they pack 50 people into a classroom and just uh, rub you blind, basically. Um Whereas this guy, Philippe Gollier, who runs the school in France, he's a total weirdo. He's uh, been a teacher for like 50 years or something and he takes his job really seriously. And he's also um, quite single-minded about what it is that he thinks makes a good performer. And uh, I think you definitely get what you sign up for. When people, people told me about the school, they said it was brutal. Um, but what you come away with is... Uh, you know, you become quite fearless and you, you take a lot of risks and um, you you really become uh, the performer that you kind of 
always knew that was in there, but mm. you didn't know how to get to it. So it's a kind of, for me, it was um, an easy choice because I was far more interested in um, doing something terrifying than uh, than straightforward. I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you feel now more confident in your performance? Like. Yeah. Do you think you're good? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I think I'm on the right path. Yeah. I don't think I'm good. I think I'm taking the right risks and I'm getting the right laughs. You know, like I think I think I'm definitely onto something. Yeah. But I'm far from being as good as I'd like to be. What did what is the thing that you think you are onto? Cuz I I really like watching you perform. I think you're uh, you have a very nice mix of graceful awkwardness uh, <laughs> if you know what I mean you 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 it's 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 a it's a beautiful thing to watch are you do you have any stuff on YouTube not really I have bits and pieces but they're all pretty badly filmed oh there's stuff from the checkout yeah clips from no the checkout. I, I want I want something of you sort of going wild um, <laughs> all right I will we'll, we'll see if I can get that up in the next couple of weeks so that I can give someone a reference point for what you're like otherwise I'll just mash up some clips <laughs> Put them together and, and give it sort of a a, refer- a set of reference points to triangulate you in. Um, but That's yeah, awesome. uh, what what do you what do you like about the way you perform? Uh, what I like at the moment is um, I'm finding that I can be really uh, small. You know, like it, it can just be eye movements and stuff while mm. I'm talking that tell people what's going on in my head. Mm. That seems to that seems to be quite funny. I I seem to be able to say say something but be saying another thing with my face, oh, and that works good. quite well. Yeah. Um, and then the physical, like I I never thought of myself as a physical performer, but I am really tall and gangly. <laughs> so that kind of works quite well with the with the whole with the awkward yeah I am I am quite awkward but you're graceful with it like you you know what your, the limits of your body are there's yeah. no sense that you're out of control yeah no you're right it's, it's true it's kind of a safe awkward yeah Trigby Wakenshaw's kind of got the same thing but on a different slightly different axis of, of that oh mm. uh, yeah he's, where he's completely in control but he does look sort of <laughs> he looks like a baby fawn or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he's so – he does all this acrobatic yoga and stuff, so he's completely, like, yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah. He knows exactly what he's doing. He, yeah. He's yeah. he's beautiful to watch. I don't know. I think that's interesting, this idea of, of telling two different stories, and that's a, a really powerful thing. I think I – with the show that I'm doing at the moment, it needs to be – I need to be 100% on message. Mm. Um partly because I'm dealing with like things that are so serious and real that if I performed them rather than being in them, if there was any sense of disingenuousness. Yeah. Sometimes I will, you know, because I've written the show, there's bits that I know off by heart and I have to catch myself at the beginning of a sentence that I, I know I would ride the sentence rather than being, being in, in it. it. Yeah. And if I do that, it's a kind of a betrayal of... I'm yeah, saying. it's almost like we're at op- opposite ends of the spectrum in a way because you deal so heavily with non-fiction and stuff that's real yeah. and stuff that needs to be handled really carefully. Um, and yeah, and mine is I a didn't. completely dumb 
Yeah, that's what I wanted. I so wanted my show this year to be that. I so wanted my show to just be um, just that kind of incredibly transcendental silliness. This but is don't what you I think, like? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, but there's. Uh, I, I think it. it's. I think it's amazing that that is what you gravitate towards. Yeah. And yet you're dealing with this subject matter, because I, I think I think it would be. I think that uh, a lot of the time with comedians and and um, and particularly ones that are our age and sort of finding out what we're good at. Yeah. Um, what's lovely is when you you're at a stage where you've, you're juggling all these influences and, and styles and interests and stuff and, um, and what, what you're what – you're, uh, <laughs> what, what I mean to say is it's a beautiful contrast, I think, and I, I don't think you should worry that you're, um, that you're straight because I don't think you – I don't think that's how you come across at all, at all. I think the material – is important and um, and needs to be treated carefully, but I think you have a silliness. Woo. Yeah, I think there's a silliness there that even even if you don't underline it or like magnify it, mm. I think it exists, and that's what makes the contrast between the two so the strong. The nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> Everyone's always like, "Oh, you're just so highbrow." I'm like, "No, I'm not. I'm not. I promise, I'm not." No, there's very there's a lot of silliness. Good. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, what was your influence? What made you? want to be funny that's a very uh that's a very unanswerable question I I don't know complicated I think I was very serious as a child mm. I think I I am very serious yeah I think I might maybe have only lightened up quite recently <laughs> um so I don't know I don't know what this um I think it's just a strong reaction isn't it to elicit from somebody laughter yeah, and to be in control of it as mm. well. It's a powerful feeling. To to be able to say, this is when you laugh. Yeah. This is when you cry. <laughs> yeah, but I've never felt like a funny person. No. Yeah. That's interesting. I never did either. I was yeah. never funny. Except sort of viciously in school when people would ignore me because I was, you know, I was the weird kid and one of the forms that girl bullying takes is that they just don't acknowledge anything you've said. <laughs> right. Uh, so I would sit in the back of class and answer all the questions and try to say something that was either so outrageous or so on point that it would make them laugh. Yeah. Because they couldn't pretend that they weren't listening. Yeah. But that was How kind of mean-spirited of me. I was just like, fuck you. Like, it was not a pleasant <laughs> urge. It was just kind of a, a vengeful thing of just yeah, right. proving to myself that they were listening yeah. and proving somehow to them how petty they were being or how stupid it was to pretend they couldn't hear me. Mm. Wow, that's that's awesome. Yeah. I think it's maybe why I'm so uh, defensive in my comedy. Like I, I have to, you know, well, yeah, maybe it's about control in a way that's not entirely pleasant. I, I'll tell you what to laugh at and how to laugh. Mm. Not You're not laughing at me, you're laughing... When I tell you to laugh, yeah, you know, right. At what I tell you to laugh, it's quite. I have. To, I feel like I have to be quite precise. Yeah. Because I can't stand the idea that people are laughing at me for the wrong reasons, or because they don't like me, or because they think I'm dumb, or you know what I mean. Yeah. That's, okay. Wow. I don't think I thought about that too much before. That's not a good, not a nice thing to think. No, I think that's. I think. I think it's all important. Mm. That's what's. That's what's so brilliant about. Dealing with comedy, I think, is that it's all it plays such an important role, and I think um, 
like I love having discussions like this where, um, you know, it, it's, it becomes very apparent that there's, um, there's important things happening and that comedy plays such an important role in talking about stuff. You know, like I think people, people, especially old people, say, stop swearing, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. Yeah. But I think there's a place for that. I think there's a really important place for violent, crass comedy. Uh, and I think there's a place for really um, intellectual comedy. Mm. And I think there's a, also a place for really dumb, idiotic, stupid, uplifting comedy. Like I think all the different ways that you can laugh about stuff uh, – are very healing and important, and I think, in terms of communication, you can't you can't get like a stronger what do you call it engage engagement. Yeah, I guess it's very than when you're yeah yeah than when you're when everyone's laughing. That's yeah, it's interesting. That's I think the thing on like an intellectual level, rather than like the combination of breaking making mum or people around mum laugh to break tension in really unpleasant situations, and then the school thing. Um, it's also the the fact that you can see someone have an idea mm. because they react with a whole body reaction mm. to an idea, yeah, yeah, uh, and you just don't get that with anything else. Even I mean, unless you actually make someone cry, <laughs> you know, which is <laughs> something that happens in my show a little bit. Oh, really? But yeah, I uh, I've had a couple of people kind of cry on me after the show, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. Sort of proud and sort of ashamed. I'm like, I'm sorry. I really, I did want it to be a, a fun show. Mm. But isn't that fascinating? There's a laugh. A laugh is quite complicated. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, we're all on a power trip, I guess, that we can make people do it. I <laughs> <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> oh, no, I still feel like I'm chasing that a bit. You know, like I don't feel I have any control over how people laugh at me. Yeah. I just try and. Oh no, it does. Elicit like it. It's just a, an illusion that I have or some weird urge that I have to control it, but I don't think mm. I have that. And then do you think that live performing is the thing? Uh, I think without it you, you don't have much sense of how far you can go or what you're capable of. Mm. Um, you know, like I, I, have, I have big dreams of um, conquering the world with mass media and doing huge amazing fun projects that you know have huge budgets and are on screens and stuff but I don't think that there's any point in aspiring to any of that unless you've got uh unless you've got a really strong base in live performance because it's that's where it's it's, I mean you're you're nothing if you don't know how to make people People around you laugh laugh. yeah Mm. that's it yeah that's an interesting one taking over screens do you think that television is still a thing? Not in the way that we know it, I think. Not in the way that we engage with it now. Mm. Um, I don't know what will happen next. Um, I, don't, I don't really watch stuff on screens. Not, not now, not during the festival, at least. Um, I don't really know anything about it. Here's, here's, here's what I think. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a whole idea. I don't. I'm not going to hold you to it. Okay. Well, we can get to the end of the, the idea, and you just go. Actually, I, I disagree with everything I've just said. <laughs> okay. That's that's what this is for. I I grew up on a farm. 
just outside of Tombrumbo in the Snowy Mountains, which is like this pristine part of Australia. And people come to visit it all the time because it's so beautiful and hilly and, um, and, uh, and by our standards it's quite untouched. There's like, you know, uh, national parks everywhere. Um, that's obviously not the case for the farm that I live on. There's like a lot of land clearing that's happened. Um, there's been problems with um, soil erosion in the creek beds and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> cloven hoofed animals are running around the place, which is not yeah, not, not very ideal. Nice. Uh, and also, it's Australian. It's Australian. And we have hunters that come and kill kangaroos and stuff. Um, so I feel weird about all of that, even though. I don't know what the alternative is, and and as a child, like for for a, a human child to grow up on a farm, that's kind of like the most ideal experience a human can have, probably. Yeah. Um, unless Nature. unless you were an actual tribe person <laughs> living in a just freedom and yeah. running around. Yeah. Yeah. We had a big back, a big 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 garden, and because my mum was sick, we were just left to roam free. Mm. I think it's not, not a bad way to do it. Yeah. Like knowing that you have a home that's safe and, and warm and then other than that you can just you go can and just get explore. muddy and eat things off things and you know like <laughs> And learn. Yeah. yeah. I think I think I had I had a, an amazing time, but I uh, yeah, I sort of feel very weird and guilty about um, I don't know, the fact that humans have to eat. And that the system that we have now is the best, the best thing that we've come up with so far. Yeah, it's one of those nasty sort of network effect things where if everybody decided to do it differently, it would work. But unless everybody decides to do it differently, if you do it differently, you're putting yourself at a distinct disadvantage. Mm. And it's also, it's also quite and weird And no one too. does that. See, no one takes the hit. Well, I mean, people are trying to. It's, it's amazing. I, I feel really... Um, I'm very impressed by smallhold farmers who go organic and try and do it their way. And um, my dad, he's such a he's such a um, economic rationalist. That he doesn't understand why anyone would ever, ever, ever do that. He also thinks it's quite elite. You know, you're making food for the rich. Basically, there's no way that anyone, any normal family, could afford to eat organic food that's produced in the way that, um, you know, it's being produced in Australia. And then other problems that happen, like, I think I think it's, there's a lot of organic farms around us that are just completely covered in blackberries. Mm-hmm. And to solve that problem, they get in bulldozers and just bulldoze great big areas of land that are just covered in weeds. Yeah. Because and then they set them on fire. You because know, they can't use chemicals. Yes. So it ends up being rougher on the land. I did not know that. Mm. That's terrible. Yeah, and then uh, and then the spores from the weeds that are growing on one property spread across all the other properties. and You know, so people are using pesticides on their properties to counteract the effect of these organic, these organic farmers that are next door. Ah, it's like immunisation maybe. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, not a million miles away. No, but that's yeah. So you're you're troubled by this. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is. I feel I, I feel funny that I I, I can't come up with um, a solution in my head. Nothing. It's uh, it's it, to me it's all very grey. Mm. And so it's weird. 
when uh, you live in a inner city sort of environment where people tell you what they think about the ethics of organic farming or being vegetarian or vegan or, you know. Um, and a lot of the time these uh, views are kind of informed by fairly lightly researched, uh, you know, articles written by journalists that have never really lived on farms or know what happens in Australia. All this, yeah, this quite idealistic... Um, this is one of the things I've realised growing up, huh, is realising how little reasoning or logic can help solve problems. Because everyone has a logical argument from their perspective. Mm. In the end, you've just got, like, what you feel is right. Most arguments come down to that, what you base your facts on, who's doing the research. Every fact can be thrown into question. Every situation can be... Talk to any conspiracy theorist. <laughs> Anything that is apparently evident can be taken to pieces. Yeah. So in the end, you've just got this gut instinct arguing against gut instinct using reason as a tool. Yeah. Oh, man. That's complicated. Yes, that's, that's how I feel. <laughs> um, I kind of think it would just be a lot better if, uh, if we were all tribes people and there was like 20 of us on the, on the whole planet. Ah, so I kill everybody. Kill right. everybody. <laughs> Let's walk around with spears and just, uh, yeah, eat a fish a day or something. It's a good, it's a good argument. <laughs> I'll go get my nuclear weapons. <laughs> <laughs> it starts today. It starts today. Well, I mean, it, that is an interesting thing. We are not geared for the world the way it is. It's not a human world despite the fact that it's built by humans and allegedly for humans. It's not very human. But then again, I don't necessarily trust humanity. No. I no, they, they don't deserve to be trusted. No. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's very wise not to. I don't even understand what that noise is. It sounds like it's in the lift, but it's also a trolley. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I think whenever anyone talks about the nice tribes... Thing, you have to consider the plight of women in those tribes. Uh, yeah, unless they're matriarchal societies where the women are the kings. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, as with any society, I think it's a pretty good society if you're at the top. Totes. And you judge a society by how badly it treats the people at the bottom. Yeah, absolutely. And these days, very few people get clubbed to death. That's true. Just for being a bit weird. Mm, yeah. And uh, as somebody who's a bit weird, I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate it very much. Every day I'm glad I'm not clubbed to death. <laughs> All right, um, you'll, I'll put this out this week. What's your show name? My show is called Pop Pop. All right, uh, go and see Pop Pop uh, in Sydney. As yes, uh, The Loft at the Animal Theatre um, from the 12th to the 16th of May. Perfect. Good. Are you online? Do you have a website? I don't have a website. No, I'm on Facebook. I'm on yeah. Twitter, at Penny Greenhold, if you can spell that. <laughs> Green it's spelled green. in the usual way. H-A-L-G-H. H-A-L-G-H. All right. Thank you. Uh, you're having tea with Alice.